everyone, and welcome to the Talk Dental to Me podcast. On this podcast, we talk about all the dental topics you wish you knew more about, what you want to hear more about, and topics that will challenge your practice and help you flourish as a clinician. My name is Emma. I'm an oral health therapist based in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm your host. Thank you for making episode 33 a part of your week. So before we start, I want to share with you all, I have finally received my ergonomic loops and I am beyond excited. I haven't actually used it on patients yet. I've just been using it at home, reading and just trying to ease into using them. I've had a few people tell me that it can be quite difficult, that you can get dizzy. So I'm just trying to ease in, but I can already feel how great it's going to be for my posture and my neck. So the most I have to update you on now is the type of loops that I bought. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, which I highly recommend you should if I don't say so myself, I have let you all know that I purchased the Admitech loops and I ended up going with the four times magnification and I really love how sleek and minimal the glasses are. They're very light. I went with black ones because I know if I got any other color, I would get sick of them. Super light, especially with the strap on. Comes with a battery charger. I've charged all my batteries. So first tick, everything works and it's really easy to put together. So once I start using it, I'll definitely update you all in clinic. And before we get started, definitely screenshot this episode, share it and tag it with Emma Talks Teeth. If you have anybody in your audience or a friend, you guys, it means so much to me when you leave a review, but how all this amazing info gets out to help others in our field is if you share it with somebody who you think would benefit from it. So thank you so much for listening. And now I'm really excited to get into all things airway-focused dentistry. And this episode is a must-listen, so I'm very, very happy you are here right now. We are all about bettering ourselves as clinicians, right? And this is why I have this podcast, and this is why I love sharing these types of conversations with you all. In the next hour, don't forget to record as CPD if you are in Australia, We are going to explore the critical connection between oral health and airway, uncovering how they intertwine to impact overall well-being from sleep apnea and breathing disorders in children, orofacial myology. We're really only just skimming the surface into the multifaceted world of airway-focused dentistry, but I hope this gives you some inspiration for future research. So whether you're a seasoned practitioner, a dental student, or simply someone interested in learning more about the airway dental connection, this episode is for you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Today we're chatting airway-focused dentistry, and I'm so, so excited to introduce you all to this episode's guest. We have Dr. Mark Levi. He's got over 30 years of experience as a dentist and over 20 years in craniofacial dental sleep medicine. He's a member of the Australasian Sleep Association, the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, and the European Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mark. Emma, it's great to be here with you and to chat with you and to talk airway. I mean, airway is so exciting. It is. Thank you for being here. And your journey is a really fascinating one. I hope I've given you a worthy introduction, but please do tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. 
Ah, me. Well, so I was a patient at age three, and then I continued to be a patient. I went to bed till I was about 12. Small jaws, clicking joint, grinding teeth, temporomandibular joint problems. So got to about 20 or so when they gave me a dentist degree at Sydney University. So that was very salubrious. Mum and Dad were very proud of me. Mm-hmm. Got to about 40. I was snoring so badly, weighing 70 kilos with no symptoms, that they diagnosed me with roaring, world-famous Olympic sleep apnea, not breathing at night. So they said, Mark, you are not breathing. You're in deep yogurt. So they gave me a CPAP machine to wear for three years. And, well, that wasn't very fun. And so after about three years of being a good boy, I thought, this is nuts. There must be more to this sleep apnea thing 25 years ago, 24 years ago, 23 years ago. So I jumped on an aeroplane, went to the US, and I suppose the rest is history. From there, it was all about America and about what I could learn in America and what I could learn here, but mostly what I could learn in America. There's a tribe, a small tribe of dental people in Australia that have similar-ish training or background to me, but there's not many of us around at all. And so these days, really, my practice, all I really do all day is 90% of my practice really is just airway and breathing. Because really, I just want to lay it really, really, really simple. Emma, you ready? I am. Step one, open your mouth. Step two, let air go down past the tongue. Step three, air goes down to your lungs. That's it. And if that journey, if that air from your lips through your mouth, over your tongue, down your airway, and the airway is only about six inches long at your neck. If that little journey doesn't work properly, we're all in really a lot of trouble because we're not going to breathe properly and that's going to affect our sleep and that's then going to affect our brain. And so two little trivial items for you. Number one is I got published in Europe about 10 years ago. That was very salubrious of me in the medical journals, in the sleep journal actually in Europe. But number two is that did you know, Emma, that the brain is about 10 times busier at night? No. And did you know that they only invented, it found, I think it was eight years ago, the brain's got its own irrigation system called glyphatics and that the brain's synaptic electrical connections light up like Santa Claus and Christmas at night. So when I say new new, that's eight years old as I understand it. They only worked out the brain was busy in 1961, I think. I could be corrected. And so breathing, which is oxygen and carbon dioxide and nitric oxide and sleep, and then the brain is a very, very, if they're not working properly at night time, then you really, there's a huge cascade of wellness issues throughout life. Mm, yeah. No, and I have previously worked with a dentist who also did work in this space and, you know, worked with removable expansion appliances and that was just a whole world that, I didn't even learn about in universities. So I feel like also one thing that's not really emphasised in university are 
airway checks. I mean, they are touched on, but not to the extent to which I think everyone will learn today. So to kick off our conversation, what does an airway check involve and should it be part of the standard dental checkup? Wow. How long is this talk for? Four hours, did you say? (laughs) Well, it could be. (laughs) So what's an airway check? I'll give you a helicopter view Mm -hmm. and then you can steer me where you want me to go. Otherwise, I'll just talk underwater for about 100 hours. (laughs) Okay. So an airway check goes like this. Step one is the patient worries that they've got symptoms that aren't okay. So you do a consultation and, you know, they go through a – they fill out some boring Q&A questionnaires. But inherently, step one is – talking and listening but part of that process is also looking but across a consultation table not in a dental chair as in you know it's really a real consultation you're trying to hear and listen to what their problems are and whether they align with where we're coming from and then you want to have a look at them you might have a two minute three minute bit of a sticky beak look skeletally above the shoulders that includes the mandible and inside the mouth the nose you might have a quick look and then that's step one step two i like to say is a deeper dive into diagnostics where you book them in for a long appointment and you do more extensive diagnostics in a dental chair and step three is to scratch your head after all the metrics have come back step three is really to scratch your head and go well Has this person, whether they're a child or an adult or a very old adult, has this person got, or a baby for that matter, has this person got one option or 12 options or how many options are there available in this particular situation to improve airway and breathing? And so step one, two, three is an overview of what we do. There's another helicopter view that a lot of the doctors use of ours a lot of my medical doctors give their patients from me a screening questionnaire which is pretty lightweight and the doctors can normally do in about uh, a couple of minutes you know one of those 12 questions that we've developed over the years that really raise a flag for is it really a sleep related issue or something else so that's what airway evaluation is really about Beautiful. And so as dental professionals, a lot of OHTs and dentists listen in to the podcast and I can definitely say across my career, I've seen lots of children, teens, adults come through in my chair. And I remember early in my career thinking, okay, I think there's someone in my chair that does have airway issues. What are some simple questions that a dental professional could ask that patient if they suspect they've got sleep disordered breathing to then maybe facilitate a referral? Let me qualify step one though. Step one qualification is what are we looking at? We're looking at breathing. We're looking at airway assessment. We're also looking at sleep, which is a flag. And so I'm just making that qualification that we're not just looking anatomically at the airway anatomy We're also listening to what the sleep sounds like, which is normally a red flag to what the breathing does. So there's an expression SDB, sleep disordered breathing, which is a general term for 
mouth breathing. It's a general term for upper airway resistance syndrome, a general term for snoring, a general term for sleep apnea. When a dental professional is looking at a patient that's sitting in the chair, airway is anatomical, but it's also very linked to how they sleep. And so I just raised that flag for you. Does that make sense, Emma? Yeah, absolutely. Would you like 15 questions that a dental professional might want to ask? That would be amazing. Okay. So, look, this is a little bit tailored to a paediatric case, a little bit. But, you know, we see from naught-year-olds right up to 99-year-olds. And so let me go through some low-hanging fruit screening. Questions like to a child or a parent, do you hear the person breathing or snoring in the bedroom? Step one, you know, these are like never, rarely, often sort of questions or one, two, three, four, five questions. By the way, there's a lot of things out there like stop bang test. There's a couple of American Academy of Sleep Medicine and the Australian Sleep Medicine, for that matter, association questionnaires. I tend to like to mould them all to make them user-friendly for chairside. So, look, number one, you know, can you hear the person breathing or snoring in the room? Is their mouth open when they sleep or when they're sitting in the dental office? If their mouth is open in the dental office, that technically is not breathing properly at all. They're missing out on all the nitric oxide in the nose. Is their sleep restless, especially in children? Is their sleep restless, particularly in children? Grinding teeth is a big flag. Talking in sleep is a big flag. How many times a night do you wake up? It's interesting. Physiologically, the way the hormone balance works, we are not meant to wake up at all. And the only reason geriatrics wake up 10 times a night often is because they've got bladder control issues. I'm generalizing, of course. But generally speaking, we are not meant to wake up at night at all. The hormones change at night, and that's that story. Wetting the bed for a child's a flag. Sleepy during the day. Irritable during the day. Especially with children, really picky eaters or ear infections or allergies is a bit of a flag. For an adult, you know, the 40-year-old I saw this week, I mean, focus, attention, concentration, they're hugely big flags. In the children, you might label it like an ADHD, ADD, ASD, symptom-like maybe. But again, we're back to, you know, that ADHD thing is, well, that can be hyper, it could be not hyper, but it can also be about focus and attention and the cognitive skills. With children, you look at things like the tongue and just sitting there as a dentist or a dental professional in the industry and looking at how the tongue moves and where it sits, sometimes you can see it at the front door when they walk in. You can look at the face and see how narrow the face is or where there's tooth crowding in the mouth. Tooth crowding tends to indicate an issue. Dark circles under the eyes, falling asleep. That's probably, I'm just thinking aloud, definitely crowding of teeth, where the tongue sits, occlusion. The other thing that a dental professional can look at, which is a looking thing, not an, is at the tongue. If you see a tongue that's got indentations all along it, like it's actually called scalloping. And so it's pretty cool. You just look at the tongue and you can see these scallop things. And actually what it is, is the top teeth biting on the bottom teeth. And so that's a sure sign that the tongue doesn't fit 
inside the mouth box. And so that'll do. And I just want to clarify, Emma, for anybody listening, that is a broad brush, dental leaning, screening, you know, 20 questions that gives you a bit of a heads up. Does that make some sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that'll be really helpful because, you know, we want to, I guess, lead the conversation with patients and sort of decipher, okay, there is something going on. Okay, let's refer you. So I think those are some really good touch points there that will really help people. Thank you for that. You want to hear another tidbit for the dental profession? I would love that. Okay, tidbit number 421. You ready? (laughs) Yes. So women have estrogen and progesterone rushing through them Mm -hmm. and men don't. So women have estrogen and progesterone, men don't. We're not talking about testosterone at all. We're talking about estrogen and progesterone. And so estrogen and progesterone tends to protect a female's airway and breathing. So when you're in a dental professional situation, you'll see a female will turn up with symptoms at 35 that are totally different to a male turning up at 40. And so What tends to happen with the breathing and sleeping and breathing and airway is that when menopause kicks in, they tend to look the same because menopause kicks in, all the hormones are sort of balanced or no one's got estrogen and progesterone anymore, which protects the airway because the females are the birth givers and Mother Nature wants to protect that. So it's an interesting, if you see a 60-year-old woman, they'll be similar to a male But when you're looking at 35, 40-year-olds, they're very, very, very different and they look different and they present with different symptoms. Interesting. Would you like to know what the woman looks like and the man looks like? You knew what I was thinking. I would love to know because that's something that I don't know. Well, a man normally turns up, I'd like a Mars bar. (laughs) I'm on a dental podcast. I can't say that. It's sugar. (laughs) I can't say that. I'd like a Mars bar for every male that turns up in my office between the age of 36 and 42. And they're normally snoring so badly that their partner wants to throw them out. They could weigh 70 kilos. So look, sometimes they've got debilitating cognitive issues. Sometimes they've got debilitating tired issues. But the number one thing the guys tend to do, the guys tend to snore. So that's, a, again, generalisation, but that's a commonality, okay? With the women, it's really, really fascinating. They've labelled it. I'm not big on labels at all, so you won't get a lot of labelling out of me. I'll tell you they're just not breathing, sleeping well. But there's a label called upper airway resistance syndrome, which they tend to label a female 35-year-old with. And they're often got huge amount of anxiety, neck ache, back ache, poor libido, grinding their teeth, tired and not sleeping well. And it can easily, and maybe they've got poor occlusion. Well, both of them can have poor occlusion really and a big tongue. But the symptoms present and they can be very easily confused or brushed off with, well, I've got five children at home under the age of five or I'm running around being a mom, or I'm exhausted cooking, cleaning and running the house and working. So they're not obvious symptoms where you put all five or six or seven symptoms together and go, that's a cluster 
of symptoms. Oh, that's interesting. Let me do some more exploration. Well, that's really helpful. I've definitely learned something new today. Thank you for taking us on that. I really appreciate it. And another topic I really wanted to pick your brain about today is a post I saw on your Instagram, Dr. Mark Levi's, and you touched base on it before and it was ADHD. So people maybe already be making a connection between what we're talking about today and ADHD. But if ADHD is suspected for a child, what else should parents be exploring and why? So let me start by being politically correct and saying that if there's a parent wonder of whether their child's an ADHD candidate, Mm -hmm. I direct the parent or the clinician to the work of Professor Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Bonnock, B-O-N-U-C-K, who's the ADHD USA, I don't know, queen of research for 25 years. Karen's a very well-celebrated professional and she's done many, many years in this space. And her research indicates in America that 50% of children that have been diagnosed with ADHD, in fact, have an airway breathing problem. That's huge. Mm. So in my office, and I'm being anecdotal and trying to be politically correct, it's my experience to see it goes something like this. Oh, child's not focusing or hyperactive or having symptoms similar to ADHD. School can't handle it. School's getting a bit fed up with it all. School's under-resourced. School principal does something. I don't know what they do, but they do something, like write a letter or something. Child ends up at the paediatrician. Paediatrician might involve a ENT, might not. Paediatrician might involve a child psychologist type person, maybe not. But the paediatrician is the one that's responsible for diagnosing ADHD with or without the consultation of a respiratory sleep medical physician. And so... And there's a cohort of these professionals in Sydney, in Australia, who are very, very talented, medical specialists that have done a specialty in respiratory. And so that's their, and they do sleep and respiratory. So ADHD mimics, the symptoms of ADHD mimic not breathing and not sleeping well. They mimic sleep deprivation and they mimic mental health. So I wouldn't take... I mean, we as professional dental people need to stay in our lane and do what we do and do it well, but there's no reason why we can't collaborate with, now let me go through the list, ENT, respiratory physician. I work closely with an adult psychiatrist who specialises in sleep and breathing. I liaise heavily with a number of paediatricians of different specialty. I liaise very heavily with a paediatric gastro in GIT specialist because there's a lot of reflux which affects teeth. A lot of the problems we see in teeth come from reflux, from breathing. 
And so there's a big collaboration between respiratory doctors and GIT doctors. Who have I missed there? So there's a cohort of people we all overlap with that we need to collaborate with. But you asked me before I went on my slow, methodical meander through the grasslands. Love it. <laughs> through the grasslands of Savannah ADHD. It is not a black and white issue. And as a dental professional, the first thing I'd do in a child is look to see if they're, well, if you see their teeth are crowded, then that is already a flag that says, oh, it might be up my alley. You never know. So low-hanging fruit, you know, but we're dental professionals. We're not trying to be ADHD pediatricians. So it's a very complicated issue. I have lots of opinions about it, Emma. I don't know if they're all publishable. <laughs> so, but Karen Bonnock is the first person. There's some other literature that comes out of the US on this subject. I'm very passionate about it, actually, because we've seen over the years some kids that we've helped improve their breathing. And we've seen kids where, now let me exaggerate, we've seen kids where in, you know, four weeks, eight weeks, three months, the schools have said, what have you done to the child? The child's behaving better at school. So we always think that's pretty cool when we come from a... Absolutely. We're involved in jaws and the oral structures. If by accident the child improves at school after three months or two months, that's very much a whoop, whoop, whoop in my office. Yes, absolutely. I appreciate you diving deeper into that with us because I have definitely, you know, worked alongside clinicians in the past there that also have, you know, a similar philosophy. But, no, it's great to see that, you know, there are other dental professionals in Australia, you know, working like you do and focusing on the airway like you do. So I hope everybody listening to this is inspired and I guess we'll hopefully be able to reach out to you as well after this. I'm sure you'll get people reaching out. Well, I did miss one that I want to point out for the dental community. The other professional, your skill set is very much, you know, we need lots and lots of your skill set, Emma, in the oral health therapist space. But the other space we need a lot of is orofacial myo-myologists, orofacial myofunctional therapists. And so they're the specialists that a lot of them have got speech therapy backgrounds. They're trained with the tongue and tongue exercise, tongue movement, tongue physiotherapy, and they can be a huge adjunct in the toolbox, as can, funny enough, osteos and chiropractors. A lot of my colleagues in America work enormously with osteos and chiropractors because they can be part of a great airway team. And if you happen to be in a town or place where there's an orofacial myofunctional therapist, you're a lucky person because they're a pretty rare breed. That's quite amazing what they do. Yeah, absolutely. I did a course with Carla Leharaga earlier in my career and she is absolutely incredible. And I have met a few OHTs who are orofunctional myologists as well, orofacial, sorry, myologists. So hopefully it becomes less of a rare breed and <laughs> more of a common adjunct I think to the work that we do because we do see a lot of children so it makes sense for us to have that you know in our skill set as well 
Now, you do see a lot of children, Mark. I think a common question people may ask is how early could we refer a child off for treatment if we suspected that they were having airway issues? Is there an age? Are you talking about my grandchildren or are you talking about the patients that walk in the front door? <laughs> Ooh. So my grandchildren and my friends in America will treat a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. There's a very clever paediatric fellow in America. Kevin thinks that if you're seven years old, you're a geriatric in his office. <laughs> so the earlier, the better. There's a bit of an adage that goes like this, though. The child has to be ready because as dental clinicians, as in the dental community, we're sort of only skilled to put, I can be corrected, but generally speaking, put things in the mouth to help it grow, to help it move, to help it facilitate improvement. We can also do tongue exercise. We can, I'm thinking aloud now, most of what I do is either muscular or putting things in the mouth. And so you need the patient, meaning the child, to be obliging, okay? And so we work a lot with tongue tie. With There's a cohort of professionals that are very, very clever at reducing tongue tie, which causes a lot of problems. There's a cohort that do a lot of tongue tie for newborns, which is definitely, newborns is definitely not my basket. But I like to say I work with three-year-olds to 99-year-olds. And as you go through the ages, the toolbox changes because the toolbox is a very varied sort of what can we do, how can we do it. You know, if they're old, you might want to get the CPAP type involved, which is not my lane at all. So as a very young child, you might want to get more of a paediatrician thing involved. So the toolbox varies with the age. But my answer to children is the younger, the better. Yeah, great. No, I definitely agree with that too. And something I really want your view on, I have, you know, worked in many, many different practices across my career. And what do you think of the comment, let's just keep an eye on the teeth grinding and see if they outgrow it or let's wait till they're older and then we can refer them off to orthodontics. What's your thoughts on that? I was at a lecture and I'll give you two answers. The short answer is that was correct 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Mm, yeah. A lot of things we did 25 years ago are correct. They're not always correct today. Tell me, Emma, do you have a mobile phone? I do, yes. I don't think we had mobile phones 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Do you have an electric car? No, I don't. <laughs> well, I don't think we had those five years ago. Yeah. So the point I'm making is things change. I've got a very, there's a colleague I have in New York called Dr. Michael Gelb. His father was very famous. Michael's pretty famous. He's got an office where he sees adults that are grinding and TMJ and grinding and grinding and TMJ. He will tell you that we need to look at airway as well. And there's a great lecture I was in America. It was a long time ago, and it was someone who did a lot of TMJ grinding sort of looked at it and he said he was a really important guy and I don't really understand TMJ and I last about five minutes before I zone out with a TMJ (laughs) lecture. My highest apologies to my TMJ colleagues was never my area of expertise and so it was really interesting he said his whole career 
He did TMJ first, or grinding, bruxism first, and breathing and airway was sort of a secondary thing. And now, and this is five years ago, it was pre-COVID and I was in America. Now he says, this is a mature age man, this is a geriatric old dentist like me. And he said, well, you hit 40 and you're a dinosaur. So he said, now all he does first, he does airway first and he does temporomandibular joint second. And so there's a cohort of our dental community that believe that if you're seeing a lot of grinding and you're seeing a lot of ab fractions on the buccal surface and you're seeing a lot of fractures in the teeth, there's a cohort in the last so many years that believe that it, it stems from not breathing well at night and that there's a body's movement disorder that is producing that because the patient's trying to breathe. So it's interesting and it's real research, you know, it's real stuff. So it's not something we should turn a blind eye to. I didn't say it's right or wrong. I didn't qualify any of that. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I've got my own views. But it's interesting what we did. Well, it was interesting how I was trained 100 years ago. And it's interesting what a lot of the professionals are saying today about looking at grinding of teeth. So, yeah, full stop. And look, sometimes as a dental community, we are the first professional to see an airway breathing problem. And an airway breathing problem, by the way, can affect every single solitary organ of your entire body. So it's pretty serious stuff. And if you're often, not often, but occasionally you'll see grinding, and that's actually the first sign before the sleep doctor might get a positive diagnosis from his tests. So often when we give our input to our respiratory colleagues, they take it on board and go, okay, well, that doesn't reflect well in my diagnostics, but let me look again and let me think again and let me look again. So we should all collaborate. Collaboration's an amazing thing to do. There's a clinic in Australia I know well that has a monthly collaboration with about six or seven professionals focusing on airway and breathing, and they include physios and people like, you know, real collaboration. So... I hope I've answered the question and haven't gone off the reservation, uh, Emma. No, no, you absolutely have. And I think that's the beauty of what we learn as the years go by. Things definitely haven't been stagnant in that space. And I think that if any dental professionals listening to this and they're maybe yet to learn more or want to know more, I think I hope this is your sign to go down that rabbit hole and learn more about what we're talking about today. It's a great rabbit hole, Emma. I mean, there's an adult rabbit hole, which is where I started. There's a pediatric rabbit hole. There's a baby rabbit hole. It is very all-encompassing. We these days work from about, as I said, three to 99-year-olds, although my favourite thing to do is the kids. I really enjoy the kids at the moment. I think that there's an interesting space there. But they're teaching more about sleep and breathing at all the universities across the world, as I understand it. Mm, And they're teaching the, it's interesting listening to medical doctors speak and they laugh their head off and go, I graduated 10 years ago and I did a one hour course on breathing. And so anecdotally, I hear that more and more of the universities are spending more time educating their undergraduates in the breathing space. 
Which brings me back to my rhetorical question number 422. <laughs> Emma, if you have a car that has petrol, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Is it diesel or petrol? Petrol. Okay. So you undo that cap on the petrol tank thing, right? And there's a round hole, correct? To put the petrol stuff. Okay. So visualize this. You put the petrol in the car in that little round hole, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you, Emma. What happens if you put dirty petrol in the petrol tank? What happens if you put dirty petrol in? Oh, I don't know too much about cars. <laughs> Neither do I, but I'm assuming it won't. I'm assuming it's I'm not gonna work I prefer well. both. And what happens if you've got no petrol? It's not going to run at all. Okay. So now visualise a nose, a mouth, a nose, a mouth, a nose, a mouth. We call that a box in my office. It's not a round circle, but it's almost a round circle. And so let's not argue whether you're breathing through your nose or your mouth. Let's not argue that. But your nose and your mouth is the round hole that the petrol goes in. And you want air then to go down the trachea, which is about as probably, I'm guessing, as long as a petrol tank pipe. It's not very far. Probably, I don't know, a foot long or something. I don't know. That's not my gig. And so I'm just laying the visual seed that if they're talking to patients, whether they, whatever age, the analogy is if a patient sitting in front of you is not breathing well through that hole called the mouth that we're responsible for, then nothing in their entire body is going to work properly at all. And at some point, it will come unstuck increasingly. And so there's a theory that says that, where did I hear this recently? If you give a tablet to someone at 40, it doubles every year and by 60 or 70 or 80, they've got 10 tablets or something. And so there's a research out about how many, I don't know where I heard that. There's a research out about how many tablets you get for wellness. And the older, if you start with one, you'll get three and then you'll get nine and you get 12 or something. I don't know. There's an escalation and there's a number for it. Well, my take on that is that if the round hole called the mouth and the nose isn't working properly and we're responsible for making that mouth thing the right size, shape and breathing and teeth and tongue and airway, then nothing's going to work. And then we're, you know, we're responsible for these people till they're 99. And if we're the ones often can pick up these problems. We're often the ones where you'll hear it or you'll see it or you'll ask some dumb questions and you go, you know what, I might get someone else to look at you, whether it, whoever it is, someone just, to, and ask them some more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing your expertise today, Mark. I'm sure everyone who listens to this episode is just going to find huge value in what you've enlightened us with today. In terms of if a practice wants to refer to you, what info would you generally like from a clinician or whoever comes to see you to make it just a nice experience for the patient? Well, thanks, Emma. I hope my dissertation hasn't been too rambling and no, too off left, right. The answer is, look, we see a lot of people that fly up from Melbourne. We've got a lot of patients in Wagga Wagga. We see patients on the far north coast. I've got a patient in Darwin, I think. Look, the answer is we're very approachable. We've got a very open front door, front desk, if that makes sense. Reach out, send an email with a little bit of information or a lot of information, really. We, just as an FYI, to lay a seed, we spend a lot of time 
diagnosing before we touch a patient. And that can take one, two, three appointments. That can take half an hour or three hours. And so it depends what diagnostics we do. But the other sometimes we also do, which is quite interesting, is we do like a Zoom call I did this afternoon. Where was that? Out near Lithgow somewhere. You know, I always look to see where they are. And so that's a Zoom. Obviously, I'm a dentist. I'd like to get in their mouth or be physical. And so in a Zoom, we're just having a consultation and saying, well, what's bothering you? You know, asking them a whole heap of questions and trying to piece together a puzzle. Who's your dentist? Who's your oral health specialist? What did they say? Who have you seen? You know, have you had teeth out? Just lots and lots of questions. The more information a dental colleague gives us, the better. If anybody wants, you know, we've got some tools that are pretty good. We've got some great books to read on my website, I think. I think the girls have put some new books up there. Oh, excellent. There's some book, great books there to read. And what's your website? Website is Dr. Levi's, D-R-L-E-V-I-S, drlevis.com.au, as in Levi Jeans, Dr. Levi's, D-R-L-E-V-I-S. I think there's some good reading there in the books. Some of them aren't good, some of them are. If no one's read Breath, B-R-E-A-T-H, by James Nestor, you need to buy that tomorrow. That changed the world. He's not a medical person. He's out of New York from memory, or is it Matthew Walker out of London? One's out of London, one's out of New York. I've been very lucky to trip over both of them at some point in time. These guys, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker and Breath, B-R-E-A-T-H, by James Nestor, are both... New York Times best sellers. And if you go to any airport in the world, they normally are on the shelf. And really, they've written two books for the general public that a dental person would go, wow, this is ABC of breathing. I know it's not medical, but there's lots of books on my site that Jaws, J A W S by, um, what, what's uh, Liao, L-I-A-U, wrote a book, very dental. He's a dental guy. So there's some dental stuff there. But, I, you know, occasionally we hand out books to patients because, you know, oh, just to give them the heads up, they go, wow. So I hope that's been helpful. I hope that's been helpful somewhat, Emma. Thank you so much. Emma, lovely to spend some time with you. I think I said to you when you rang me, I'm very in awe by what you do and what you're doing with your communication out there in the marketplace because I think, I was going to say you're a youngster, that's from an old guy, (laughs) and I think you're doing the dental medical community a great service by trying very, very hard and putting a lot of time and energy into getting lots of different information out, which is helpful. So great accolades to you, Emma, great accolades to you. Very, very much. That means a lot. Thank you. I told you that was a must-listen episode. I don't want to say it, but I told you so. <laughs> I hope it jumpstarts even just one dental professional who listened to their own research into airway-focused dentistry or do some education to incorporate it into their practice, like an orofacial myology course. I hope this episode has inspired you. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.